0: Welcome to Code Whack, your podcast on America's broken healthcare system and how Medicare for All could help. I'm your host, Brenda Gazzar. What's the connection between the inflammation in our bodies and the inflammation of our earth? We recently spoke to Dr. Rupa Maria and Raj Patel, co authors of the new book Inflamed Deep Medicine and the Anatomy of Injustice. Dr. Maria is a physician, activist, mother, and composer. She's also an associate professor of medicine at UC San Francisco and co-founder of the Do No Harm Coalition. Raj Patel is a research professor at the University of Texas at Austin's Lyndon B. Johnson School of Public Affairs. He's penned several books, including the New York Times bestseller, The Value of Nothing. Welcome to Code Whack, Dr. Maria and Raj. Code Whack. Sounds about right. (laughs) Right. We're calling Code Whack on America's broken healthcare system. So your book Inflamed, Deep Medicine and the Anatomy of Injustice, was published in early August. How did the two of you come together to write the book, and why did you pick this topic?
1: Well, we met many years ago as friends together at a protest against GMO foods and our work has been in relationship and conversation with each other for several years in terms of frontline work myself in communities who are struggling for health and dignity and Raj with peasant farming groups um, and people also defining their their criteria for health and dignity in different places of the world and yeah it was time to write a book about medicine um, and Raj is the perfect
0: person to do it um, with. Got it. Raj, did you want to add anything to that?
2: Other than you know, Rupa R- 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 was being invited to the Dell Medical School here at the University of Texas uh, at Austin to talk about her work around police violence as a mel- medical and healthcare issue, uh, and. Uh, as you know, I was driving Rupert back to the airport, we realized <laughs> that there was just a lot more to say, a lot more that needed to be said, uh, 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 and a lot more that the medical students really weren't getting uh, in, in terms of their education, because there have been so many attempts to re- reframe medicine, but none uh, have... Gone as wide as they need to, and so we, we really wanted to bring together our sort of joint expertise, um, and uh, we, we've you know our conversation uh, we realized as we pulled up to the airport uh, needed to go go on for much much longer, and so it has.
0: And what year was that that you had that conversation in twenty eighteen? Wow, I feel like you did a lot of research in a short time for this book.
1: Well, a lot of these ideas have been around in our minds you know, for decades in our work and starting to notice patterns in the hospital and looking at the the bodies of different people getting sick and, and noticing trends and starting to ask deeper questions about why people are getting sick in the ways that they are, both um, in the hospital and then uh, in my work as a traveling musician, where I would often use music as a way to investigate what was going on in the intersection between society and health. And when you travel with a band, with music, people let you into their homes in a different way than when you travel, you know, as a researcher, as a, as a doctor. And so I was really fortunate and blessed to have a lot of profound discussions and, you know, really mind shifting conversations with different groups who are leading the movements around health sovereignty around the world right now. So it's exciting to see, you know, like the folks shutting down line three right now. I've learned so much from
0: the indigenous uh, female leadership in this, in these lands. Wow. Thank you. So what's the connection between inflammation on our bodies and inflammation on our earth? the inflammatory response is the body's way of addressing damage or the
1: threat of damage. And so, you know, it's a evolutionarily conserved response um, that involves the immune system, the endocrine system, the the nervous system. So many of these anatomical systems that we used to think of as distinct and discrete, um, even the gut, um, all wrapped up in this response that, you know, traverses throughout the body and, um, when that damage is ongoing and there's no chance for the body to restore and repair itself, um, then the inflammatory response unabated becomes a source of damage itself. Um, And so we look at that through the lens of, you know, all the diseases that impact people who live in modern industrialized um, places, places that have been structured through colonialism. Um, All of those people um, are suffering to some degree from inflammatory disease. And so We look at, you know, what is the cause of that inflammatory disease and that the diagnoses that we've been trained to do in medicine, which limit us to individuals and what's going on in their bodies is not sufficient to addressing the patterns that we're seeing. Um, which are population level and planetary, um, and therefore we offer a new diagnosis that allows us to make these connections between the inflammation that's happening, you know, in our bodies and on the planet, and you know, with climate change and COVID, both of these system levels derangements show how we need system level solution, and they're interrelated as we're seeing right now with the wildfires and how wildfire smoke predisposes people to getting COVID. They think that COVID is traveling on the particulate matter in wildfire smoke. They're also um, seeing that when you inhale wildfire smoke, the toxic um, inflammatory response in the lungs responding to the the particulate matter that's inhaled from wildfire smoke is actually setting people up to a worse outcomes if they happen to get COVID. So it's like a double triple whammy. These things are interrelated. Um, but maybe Raj, do you want to share a story?
2: One example that we have in the book is uh, where we follow a smoke particle. Uh, we follow it from fields where it's that have been set ablaze by a mixture of very bad uh, historical policies that range from you know British colonialism to uh, American exports of certain kinds of farming technique and technologies and. Uh, so you, you see in India for instance how this smoke particle will journey from uh, a field that once sustained vibrant life which is now essentially a sort of a green desert uh, and travels all the way into the lungs of a woman who is a waste picker in uh, one of the most polluted cities on earth in Delhi and so you know the world is on fire through you know not, not, you know through climate change and through the bad policies that, that you know exacerbate climate change but as a result uh, the inflammatory response in the Body as the smoke particle goes in, uh, those inflammatory responses can range from Alzheimer's to heart heart disease uh, and uh, death through. uh, In in this particular case, a heart attack. But you know they, they they are of a piece because the planetary inflammation and body inflammation are not metaphors for one another, but they are caused. By one another, uh, and it is usually frontline communities. And in this case, working-class women uh, in the poorest and most polluted uh, places in, you know, in, in in India, who are on the front lines.
0: Got it. What about societal ills like racism? How does that play into all this? Well, <clears throat> what we
1: found that was so fascinating is that structures of damage and racism is one of them. Um, air pollution. And the structural racism that makes brown and black people in this country more, you know, predisposed to living in places that have um, air pollution, that that was another form of damage. And um, that racism drives inflammation on all sorts of levels in the body. Um, And so that these structures that reinforce racism, whether they're redlining or um, predatory loans or, you know, the crappy foods that are put into the neighborhoods of predominantly brown and black people, um, all of these things are um, systems of damage um, that predispose black and brown people to worse health outcomes. Then you look at the health care industry itself, um, whether it's the lack of access to care um, from the private insurance company, um, the private, you know, the capitalist private for-profit insurance companies to, um, you know, even if everyone had access to care, still the structures of medicine themselves are racist. So, you know, once you're in the hospital, then you have to confront all the ways, you know, the hospital has been arranged through colonial lines of power. Um, And all of these things, um, you know, end up having a, a, a terrible outcome for black and brown people, which is why we call on really starting to look at decolonizing medicine. And that isn't simply one thing, like getting access to healthcare, which is important, um, but it's then redefining the lines of power within our systems of healthcare so that it actually serves all people, which is not what it does right now.
0: So the book rejects the logic of personal responsibility to a certain degree, when so much of what shapes our health is beyond individual control, like social, ecological, and biological circumstances that contribute to chronic illness. Some people might read that and come away feeling powerless over their health. How can we take back power over our health beyond personal choices? For example, how can we support policies that support well-being? Go for it, Raj.
2: Right now, of course, we're uh, in, in a, a moment where this whole idea of personal choice uh, is being weaponized to, to render us individual uh, and to forget our duties to one another. Uh, so, for example, the vaccine debate um, is, I mean, it's, uh, honestly, it's baffling. Uh, you, uh, you may hear that in my voice that I am not from, I was not born in the United States. Uh, and uh, from from Britain, the perspective on uh, American vaccine hesitancy is just one of pure pure bafflement. Uh, We don't understand uh, in Britain why quite so many people are quite so angry about their duties to one another. Um, now it, I mean it, it's interesting right I mean you know, it, in Britain we have something that approaches the condition of Medicare for all we have the National Health Service uh, and that is not a panacea as Rupert was just saying uh, you know actually in the front lines are black uh, Asian and minority ethnic uh, the, you know, the, the 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 sort of equivalent of bipoc communities uh, in in the United Kingdom uh, and you know that that work is, it, it remains a project to bring about certain kinds of uh, justice uh, and equality in in, in that uh, in that situation, but nonetheless, the way that people are. Uh, rising above this sort of cult of individualism is precisely by working together. That's one of the big ideas that we have in the book is that um, you can't decolonize medicine as individual therapy. Uh, and in fact, you know, to, to, to imagine that there is a therapist for you who will help you decolonize is to get it precisely wrong. This is only the kind of work that can be done together, but that's why it's so emancipating. It's not solitary. It's not about you leaning back on the couch and talking about your mother. Uh, this is about uh, us... Uh, taking care of one another so that we can all decolonize together and I think that that's um, you know that that's actually ultimately the, the this kind of movement building that's required if we're interested in transforming uh, medicine and health and food and our planet
1: and there's also the liberatory aspect um, of not blaming the victim so that you know the way that we treat people with diabetes or experiencing obesity or um, you know with chronic kidney kidney failure that is that they did something wrong they must have done something must have you know eaten poorly that you just didn't exercise enough but when you look at the way um the systems are structured around a lot of those communities and people there's no way they could avoid the diabetes there's no way they could avoid cancer um and so it shows how um You know, and there's something I I call that there's a liberatory space in that for imagining health as a possibility through changing those circumstances, Um, that it isn't about personal failure Um, and to suggest that it is, is is cruel. And that's something that we say in the book. Um, You know, the rising rates of diabetes in indigenous communities um, around the world, um, indigenous communities that have been structurally altered through colonial um, lines of power those, um, that diabetes is a reaction to those genocidal practices, um, and so if we want to make a dent in that, um, those health outcomes, we have to start looking at restructuring, um, uh, like empowering the communities to reclaim and redefine um, their cultural practices around food, medicine, and their health as opposed to just simply supplying everyone with endless supplies of insulin that cost more and more. And so that's really, you know, where do you want to make the impact and how do you want to make the impact? And as a physician, I can, you know, my my practice is with individuals, but that can only take me so far in addressing
0: the kinds of suffering I'm seeing at a larger scale. Right. Can you give us an example of the connection between disease and the food supply or food chain? I remember there were some interesting examples in the book. Well, one thing that was um, I found fascinating, and
1: you can see this in a lot of indigenous communities, um, looking at the uh, Dakotas, uh, Lakota, Dakota Territory, where the Missouri River was dammed, the Mene And when the Missouri River was dammed, um, just after that, the rates of diabetes went through the roof. Um, because when the Missouri River was dammed, um, the Cottonwood forests where the people historically had... Um, harvested their foods and foraged for foods and medicine were flooded. Um, So not only were the buffalo killed, and then the people were enclosed on these reservations, um, these nomadic people who were some of the fiercest, most fierce resistors of colonial terror in the United States. Um, But then once they were enclosed, they were then subjected to the commodity foods, where, okay, they don't have their traditional food system. So here's the lard and the processed foods and the refined sugars and flours and these things that their bodies had never had any um, history of that that, that literally denude the gut microbiome that provides um, a really powerful um, antidote to inflammatory disease, right? And so the damming of a river cause this skyrocketing of diabetes through this, you know, stage after stage of altering the world around these bodies that had been in harmony and in relationship with the entire web of life around them until colonialism until the the genocide of 60 million plus buffalo, you know which was actually intentionally done and it's not as if it was oh whoops, you know that just sort of happened. these policies were intentionally done to rip people away from the things that gave them strength and power and for the uh, the folks in the in the plains, it's the Buffalo, which is a spiritual uh, center of their communities, as well as their food, their medicine, their clothing, their shelter. And so to kill the Buffalo was really to cripple a culture. It was a genocidal tactic. And so watching then as cultures, reclaim their identities and reclaim um, their languages. For example, there are indigenous tribes in, in what is now called Canada, who speak their language and are protected against diabetes when you know when you control for all the other regular things that you think that diabetes is caused by, like body mass index or um, these other things. So, you know, what is it about language and knowing who you are and understanding your relationship to the world around you that protects against diabetes? And what does that say about the onset of diabetes? What is actually causing diabetes that's above and beyond oh I'm eating too much sugar of course the food system plays a huge role in what foods are available and there are other things that are um, playing a role in in what's driving this um, inflammatory disease which we now understand diabetes is an inflammatory disease
0: uh-huh. it seems to me that feeling safe and feeling belonging and feeling at home might be a part of that what do you think I think absolutely, in that study, there was a lot of discussion
1: of um knowing who we are. the sense of knowing who one is and where one belongs, a sort of a cosmology um of understanding um has plays an important role. And for me, that was one of the most surprising parts of the book was seeing how much stories impact inflammation. are you Are you listening to stories or or having to internalize stories? that tell you the world is a scary place where you could be shot by police just by walking on your street or, you know, being stopped for a broken traffic, for a broken broken taillight. Um, Those stories are important to hear because they're real. Um, But then those stories are, again, inflict another kind of damage. Um, And so how, then, is racism a form of biological warfare um, that is predisposing you know, black and brown people in this country to worse health outcomes. And it's not just simply like white and black, you can see the same thing happening in India with caste, you know, the caste dynamic and, and, you know, the um, Hindu nationalism impacting other other groups. So it's, it's wherever you have a system of domination that that separates us from our relationships to each other and the web of life.
0: Thank you, Dr. Rupa Maria and Dr. Raj Patel. We'll hear more about their new book, Inflamed Deep Medicine and the Anatomy of Injustice, in the next episode. Find more Code WAC episodes on progressivevoices.com and on the PV app. You can also subscribe to Code WAC wherever you find your podcasts. This podcast is powered by Heal California, uplifting the voices of those fighting for healthcare reform around the country. I'm Brenda Gazar.